Welcome to the Coach Cahill Show, an audio masterclass on how to move the needle on your performance and impact as an athlete, parent, or coach. Here's your host, Coach Cahill. Okay. So, Coach, what's the biggest problem facing college football recruiting today? The biggest problem facing college football recruiting today, I think the biggest problem that's about to occur is roster management um, just with the additional year everyone was given because of COVID I mean I think it's awesome everyone got an additional year but like at the scholarship level I think things will get real interesting and I think you've seen it um, you know I worked in the Patriot League for a long time and now see Patriot League players going to higher level schools because of the transfer portal because they have extra years all that good stuff I think uh, personnel departments are going to become very, very valuable at the highest levels. Um, and I think for the lower levels, things could get different. I don't know if it's good or bad, but I do think um, roster management is one of the biggest things. Um, and the name image likeness thing also, um, at the level I'm at, that's not a huge factor, obviously. Um, but just for like the power five guys, I just think um, that's going to cause a lot of issues because there's the have, there's the elite guys and then there's everybody else so those two things are you know those two things scare me a lot um and i think the biggest thing that scares me is just for the high school kid like how how much they're going to get affected you know um not only this past year's cycle got affected because they couldn't do anything because of covid which was out of their control but now it may be easier to just go to the transfer portal as opposed to recruiting a high school kid you know, the immediate quick fix is just what everybody wants, you know, whether it be a player or a coach, you know, if you can fix it easier and you can fix it right now, as opposed to having to build and go through that process, you know. So uh, I think that those, the unknown factors of what's about to occur over the next two to three years because of the additional year of eligibility is really going to affect recruiting. And I think that could become the biggest issue with it. So I hope that answered your question. Yeah, I mean, we have, what, 5,000 guys in the transfer portal. Um, And I was talking to a a JUCO basketball coach the other day, and there's 2,000 guys in the basketball transfer portal alone. And there's way less basketball players than there are football players. So I think it's an even worse – I mean, it's a problem in all college sports, but especially in basketball and football, where obviously they have the the highest profiles. Um, What do you see – at like, why would a coach – and you don't have to use like an example from your personal experience, but sure. why would a coach opt for a transfer portal guy over a 18 year old freshman? You know, the maturity, the biggest thing you can think of is just the physical differences between an 18 year old and a 22 year old, you know, just the amount of time you've been in a college weight room. Uh, you've been through a nutritional program, a strength coach, you're just different physically, you know, and you'd rather have that for six months. I, I would think, you know, as opposed to, having to build that freshman up and make sure he's ready to go in four years, you get the four years out of that freshman or five years, depending on their career path and what they want to do. But if you can go into a portal, grab a player, use him for six months, who's already played in college games, started college games, perhaps, you know, he's that much further along from a understanding of what it takes to compete at the collegiate level and further he's that much further along physically. So it's just an easier swap. I understand, yes, you'll have to do it again six months later. But as you mentioned and alluded to, the portal is quite <laughs> big right now. So I think there's always going to be a market for, um, you know, plug and place players, so to speak, as opposed to 
I hope it doesn't be, it's not going to completely eliminate high school recruiting, but at certain positions, if you can have an older, more experienced veteran player, even if it was a career backup, you'd rather have that as opposed to an 18 year old, you have to teach a brand new system to who you have to develop physically, who you have to develop mentally. So um, that's the biggest reason I say that. So better to have a 22 year old guy with game experience for six months, half a year, than you know, gamble on a freshman for four. Correct. And now it's like, it just seems like, okay, the freshman comes in and he's not ready. He may be the next one in the transfer portal. So at least with the portal, so to speak, you can do some background and you're, you understand what the deficiencies are of the person you're about to bring into your program, whether it be a character flaw, a physical flaw, a personality flaw, uh, as opposed to recruiting a freshman who like this past year to think some of those kids who their first day stepping on their college campus was their welcome was yesterday. Hey, you're here for summer school, but you have not seen anything other than our campus via Zoom or a virtual tour. So um, I just think, yeah, going back to your point, being that much more mature, that much older, I personally see as a, an investment that's going to, I'll know quicker as opposed to I may need to register, I may need to wait in two years, so to speak. If I make a mistake on the transfer portal, it's in and it's out. So you can't have a whole team full of transfer portals, obviously. But I guess if you're weighing the two options, that's where, you know, um, the fact that the portal start taking scholarships away from high school kids is the area that going back to the original question that I think that's where high school kids will suffer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and do you see, um, I guess when you look at the transfer portal, the intent is good. They're there have to be some way to organize kids moving and shifting between different teams. And, you know, I I mean, I'm sure there's still some under the table shady stuff that goes on, but in theory, you, a kid can't transfer until a coaching staff has signed the release and, and, or the AD has signed the release and all that stuff. So there's a little bit more structure to how the transfer portal process works. Um, But it almost seems like, I guess it's a really tough fine line between um, wanting a kid to stick it out, um, versus just hitting the eject button the first time that you're experiencing some adversity on a college team. Um, I think there was an, there was an ESPN, I'll, I'll try to find it and send it to you or put it mm-hmm. in the show notes, but there was a recent article um, by ESPN basically on the mess that is the current transfer portal. And the whole gist of the article was no roster is safe anymore in that like as coaches, you guys are looking over your shoulders now worrying that okay i got a really talented freshman coming in is he going to hit the eject button at the first sign of adversity when he realizes that he's not the best player on the field anymore um or you have name image and likeness things maybe i have two very talented quarterbacks at a bigger school and now the stakes are not just playing time or being on tv but like real money because in effect if you're starting quarterback at a power five school that plays on saturdays and gets millions of people to watch what's stopping that guy from pulling in a million dollars in endorsements versus the rest of the offense <laughs> that might not pull in the same amount of money. Right. Um, so how, do, what's your take on the, on the, on the transfer portal? Do you think in general kids are too eager to jump ship or is it just kind of the way football is now in college? I think the way, the way college has transformed itself over the last, 18 to 24 months, uh, the portals become, I think initially in theory, the portal was a great idea. And I think for certain positions, the portal is great. I think if you're a quarterback where only one person plays the majority of the snaps, 
if you go in and you compete with another player, and if you're at a power five, you're a five-star, he's a five-star, and you battle it out, and you can't get the job, the opportunity to go somewhere else where you could play, I don't have issues with that. But as you mentioned and alluded to, the biggest thing that's scary is if the first time you experience adversity in your life is your freshman year in college and your immediate response is to run, that's where you start to wonder, is the portal really a good thing? Because one of the greatest things about football is it teaches you those life skills about how to battle through adversity, you know, and how to fight and earn everything you get. And it helps set you up not only for life in football, but your life post football. So um, to have it be a response of, oh, that life's hard now. I'm going to jump in there and see what happens. That's great, I guess, if you are the five-star, but if you're the two-star kid who, you know, you're having a tough road of it and then you jump in the portal and nobody wants to, like, what did you just learn? You know what I mean? So um, I don't want to sound like on my <laughs> soapbox or your high horse, you know, uh, I've been part of programs that use transfers and had a lot of success with it, you know, and some of them were transfer quarterbacks. So, you know, if you're providing a young man the opportunity to gain playing time via the transfer portal, it's an awesome thing. So I know I'm probably talking out of both sides of my mouth, but I think like anything, each kid in that portal has his own special story. And it's your job as a coach to figure out, all right, this is why he's in there. Okay. And if it's, he competed his butt off for three and a half years and he has one year left to play and he wants to give it a go. Like he battled at his previous school. All right. Welcome that versus a guy who's been at school for four days and there's no longer the best player on the roster. And he wants to run away from that. That's a different story. So I think you just have to be very careful and cautious and do your due diligence and research while when you're messing around in there. Yeah, totally. And everybody wants to point to the exception as the rule, but Mm -hmm. statistically we don't all like from coming from the kicking world where I usually hang out in, you know, everybody like Cole Tracy a couple of years ago out of assumption college division two, Yeah, yeah. Two, two-time All-American. He bounces over to LSU. They had some kicking issues. Um, has a stellar senior year. I don't know. I think he made a couple NFL training camps. But, I mean, regardless, all, every kicker in America saw that, and they, they went, wow, like, if he could do it, I could do it. Um, but not that he didn't work hard, but, but those Cole Tracy-esque stories, those, like, unicorn stories of a kid transferring up the mm-hmm. division – and then right. going on this wild magical ride statistically is very unlikely to happen. Like, like where do are all 5,000 of these guys going to find better situations? If at all, um, that that's my bigger concern. I don't know that anybody's necessarily tracking what happens to those guys that don't find homes. Um, but I don't, I think the statistics are quite bleak. Um, so yeah. What, what are your thoughts on that? No, I, like one of one of the kids uh, that was on our team at Fordham, he uh, had mono his freshman year, and as a result, couldn't play the entire year. And the way the Patriot League structured, you have your four years, and they did not count mono as an opportunity to come back for a fifth year. So, you know, he had that extra year of eligibility, and he got into the transfer portal before it was the transfer portal. You know, he had this graduate year eligibility. You know, and he ended up. Uh, being very fortunate got to go to the University of Florida so he went from the Patriot League in Fordham to the SEC in Florida and he played 10 games you know and he's like Cole Tracy he's the unicorn 
you know, and he, he saw it as an awesome thing and an awesome experience, but for the guys who you know, go into that portal, you know, we've had, had a couple of kids go in and they didn't get to go to division two Ashland. They didn't get to go to division three Baldwin Wallace. They just went home, you know, and cause we were for a lot of people at my time before them, we were their offer. We offered them a scholarship and they honored their duty to that scholarship and they got a great degree. And if they ended up finally figuring out the transfer portal is, they went in. You know, there's a couple sad stories, unfortunately, where kids, because of their inability to fight adversity, threw away the greatest thing they had, and now they're at home. And, and there's, you know, and that's what's scary about it. Like you mentioned, so you just, I hope they track it in time, just so it's like a, a visual you can get, provide to a young man to be like, okay, it's not always the grass isn't always greener. You know, to make it in its most simplest terms. Yeah, I mean, the transfer portal slogan should be like many enter if you leave yeah. uh, it's almost like you can get you can get lost down there i mean there's a lot of yeah. it's kind of like the ranking systems for quarterbacks or kickers or o-linemen you know those those top that top 20 percent of guys entering the, the top of the transfer portal those guys are going to find places but right. there's a lot of people in the bowels of the transfer portal that are just kind of spinning and treading water right now right. um and ha- what do you think is the biggest misconception that you have to clear up for families and players that you deal with um, it, throughout the recruiting process? Um, it's different, obviously, based off of a scholarship or a non-scholarship level. Um, just educating people as far as the non-scholarship level of all the different ways to finance your education and make it as affordable and feasible as possible. Um, that my, for me, initially, two years ago when I left the scholarship level, to learn all the different avenues you can um, take advantage of, you know, to finance your degree and make sure you're not completing, completely putting yourself in a, a big hole or a, a debt. Cause you know, obviously you don't want to enter, leave college with, you know, six figure uh, debt you have to pay back. So just going and learning all the avenues that you can go down and all the scholarships you can earn, although they're not athletic at the non-scholarship level, you can finance a really, really great degree and not have to go out of pocket too much. Um, at the scholarship level, just how quickly things moved. Um, and, you know, and the definition of what an offer was from like my first year as an assistant coach to like the, my last year at the scholarship level, um, the term offer changed a lot. What an offer meant changed a lot. Um, how long you had an offer changed, uh, right, wrong, or indifferent. Uh, and it wasn't our institution I worked at's policies. It's just you had to compete with the people you were with. So, you know, some people had an offer from February of their junior year until February of their senior year. And then other folks, because of the situation, the position, whatever it may be, they had an offer for a length of a conversation that you're on a phone, you know, and is that how you want to do business? No, but you have to educate people. Um, and what we did at schools I worked at were very transparent. This is a situation you're in. We're taking these said number of players. So two tight ends, two quarterbacks, we've offered 20. We have one commit. The next person that commits is, gets the last spot. So we'll inform you at any, let you know at any point if another person commits and you no longer have the ability to commit to your offer. So, uh, you know, that was probably one of the bigger things that, you, you know, you had to educate um, folks on just because one, you never wanted to be in a position where a kid tried to call you and commit and you couldn't take that commitment. Um, having had to do that once or twice in my career, that's not a fun conversation. I uh, want a kid tries to call you and, you know, uh, take that you can't take that commitment you know so uh the term offer and what it meant just being very transparent and very clear 
with each particular prospective student athlete and their family. So that would probably be the thing that changed the most. And the thing you tried to educate people on was, this is what we have right now. This is where we're at, you know, and to me, it was always just the best business and policy to just be as upfront and at times, I guess, very blunt, so to speak, but you'd rather it be that way and be, have everyone be on the same page as opposed to there being a surprise or a shock and you having to be the bearer of bad news. Sure. Yeah. And the, <clears throat> the term offer has become so bastardized the past like five to 10 years. It's like, you know, what does it even mean anymore? Like you see every day, you like some kids have like 34 offers, like wh- what is that? So like some schools and, and the definition will change based on the school and sometimes based on the coach at that school. Um, and I, I think providing clarity up front is huge for families and they might not, they might not like everything that they hear, but it is almost always certainly better to have an up, have an uncomfortable conversation where some feelings might get hurt sooner while you still have time to, you know, fiddle around with your recruiting path than later when a lot more doors and windows start closing to you. Yeah, agreed. You don't want to, the biggest thing you don't want to do is put a kid in a situation where you're hurting them, the kid or the family, you know what I mean? So we were just always very upfront and early and honest with it just because uh, one, not only would it pay dividends, and like initially that family may be like, whoa, that was a little different than some of the tones we've heard from some of the other schools. But in the long run, it's like, okay, we appreciated that. And when you build that type of trust, not only with that family, but with uh, the local schools and the high school coaches, they're very willing and able to communicate with you what's going on and help you understand, hey, this is where the kid and his family are at. So you know how to go forward. So it's just how we we felt that was the best way to do business. So. Sure. And, but I think a lot of parents and, and players, they really just want clarity. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of can, football recruiting can sometimes turn into like this weird game of like pseudo online dating where it's like, okay, like we're talking, but who's serious and who wants to make the first move here, you know? Right. Uh, but I think even if a coach, like I've talked to kids that I've coached in the past and heard similar feedback like yeah this coach from this school like you know it's tough for a conversation but at least I knew where I stood and at least now I can focus on a different school if if that school is just not a realistic path um what do you think is a question you'd like to see parents and players ask more of what's the one question that parents and players aren't asking enough in the recruiting process what the experience would be like without football to be honest with you just because um I know the for at least scholarship players, obviously, um, they're financing their degree. Like football's taking care of that bill and that check, but the ball deflates for everybody, and you just never know when you're playing your last snap. So I understand a lot of guys pick it because of facilities or because of coach or what, whatever. But what is the college experience, the collegiality of the campus like if football was taken away from me tomorrow? Um, because if you can still be happy at a place without football, then you pick the right place. At least that's one of those things I wish people would ask more. You know, it's just with the moving pieces and parts of coaching staffs and all that is ask more questions about the college, not so much the people you're talking to, not the what offense do you run, what defense do you run. Just ask more questions about a, how many majors are offered, does this major offer, more specifics about the college itself as opposed to being so driven and focused on the athletic part. And I understand it's athletic scholarship in that degree, but – the experience you're going to have all right 
if you were to lose football, God forbid, what are you going to, what experience, what college will you have when you look back on it 20 years after the fact? So that would be one of the big things you, I wish parents and players would ask more. Sure. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's, I hear it a lot. Oh, I love this coach. He's so chill. And then I don't think kids understand quite how fast the coaching turnover is um, in college from NAIA all the way up to FBS. Like the coaching yeah. turnover is really high. Yep. So you, yeah, it's cool if you really click with a coach and like, you'd hope that they're there, but um, you know, like don't, don't make your decision just based off of who the guy is who's recruiting you because I had it happen to me. This one guy was recruiting me. I liked him a lot. Then he stopped picking up the phone. Then the head coach calls me two months later and says, Oh yeah, he moved on to another school. Do you still want to come? Um, but, but I think for kids that just make the decision solely off of football, mm-hmm. those are the kids that typically will fizzle out faster if the stuff on the field isn't clicking the way that they would like it to, because now what they're, they don't like the location. They don't, they're not making friends. They're not connecting. And then they start talking about how they're just going to ball out and transfer. And it's, it's almost like you go into your fall camp with a transfer mindset already, you know, pre-established. And that was a thing, even when, when I played at Hartwick college, like way before Twitter was like big or the transfer portal was a thing. Like, you know, almost every, I would say every kid that said something along those lines, like, Oh, I, you know, I'll just ball out and then I'll transfer out. Almost all those kids either never played after freshman year, they left the team or they left the school. Then I don't think any of them went to a higher level. You know, um, now being at um, a Fisher, one of the greatest things I've learned about these guys and the more I get to know them is they've all picked the place for the right reasons. The program is getting better and better and has had a proud history and past in the last three years, it's just more wins on top of more wins. But when you ask them what drove them to make the decision to come to Fisher and be a football player, it wasn't so much all oh, the nice stadium, you know I mean? All the, the fans that show up to the games, the courage bowl, it was, they have a great school of nursing. All right. They have a great school of education. You know, it was all these outside factors, not related to the football program itself. Like, Obviously, Coach Voz was going to st- sell the stability of him being there for forever to the players, but no, in a good way. Like, hey, yeah, know, he was there when I played. Right. In a market, in a, a job market where there's no stability, I can provide you probably, I can probably tell you you're going to play for me all four years. And I'm one of the few who could say that. So, um, but they've all mentioned, like, hey, the cafeteria is delicious. The dorms are awesome. So, like, if football were to end, I know that all those guys are going to still have a very great college experience in Pittsburgh as opposed to these guys coming in and then being like, oh, I chose this place because of, oh, you're going to throw me the ball 150 times, you know? So sure. that was one of the big things that I've learned and just how much joy they have just getting to do the practice and the little things you take for granted. So, Yeah, totally. And I think coaches kind of fall into those two camps. It's either like through there forever or mm-hmm. like it's a new stop every two to five years. Um, so when you come across a coach like Fisher's got or, you know, there's plenty of D3 programs with programs across the country with that. Like that's also something to take into account. If the coach has been there more than 10 years, they're probably going to be there another four. Um, yeah. So, okay. I want to be respectful of your time. We're coming up on um, <clears throat> towards the end here. What would be one piece of advice you um, would give the family today that's going through the recruiting process? Make sure that you do your due diligence on 
gathering as much information as humanly possible on the places that you truly feel fit what you have identified as your most important criterion for your son and for your entire family unit. You know, you can't visit all the places. So based off of what you determine to be the most important factors, if that's distance from home is the biggest thing, if that's a particular academic program, right, if that is a locational piece, you know, um, or if it's just something else, what are the top three criteria and do as much research on those places before you step foot on them. And now the great thing is you can actually visit the campuses again, right? walk around by yourself, just take a tour by yourself, a walking tour, and then you can do the campus tour, whether it be with admissions, then you can do the athletics piece and all that, because everything's going to be beautiful. Everything's going to be <laughs> very nice and rosy. Okay. And they're going to paint it out to be very awesome. That's your job as a coach and as a recruiter. Um, but just make sure that you do as much research on the place not the people that are on the place, but the place itself, the academic institution, and what it can do for you, whether it be the median salary for college graduates, five years removed, 10 years removed, you know. Um, so that would be the biggest thing, you know, I would advise folks to do. Gotcha. And then one last question, I forgot to get to it a little bit earlier. Um, you've coached a while. What, what would be, what do you think is a common mistake that a lot of young coaches make when they're first trying to establish who they are? Um, biggest mistake just uh it's as you get older like when i was 24 i never left my office i never all i did was football uh, the switch never turned off it may be like the x's and o's turned off and i went to recruiting and then recruiting finally turned off and i went back to the x's and o's and making sure the kids knew what was going on um but like football never stopped so to speak uh, and there was no like balance between personal life and professional life um you know and I did that for a very long time and it was great. You know, we we're having a lot of fun, won a lot of games, but uh, as far as satisfaction of life, you know, about 10 years in, it was just like, you know, I, I never leave my office. I'm always down, my head's always down on my phone, you know? Um, so one of the big things is just, I was taught a core belief by uh, my coach, Dave Glossin, who gave me my first job and then coach Joe Moorhead, who gave me my first positional job. And they taught me, how to be a football coach, how to be a recruiter, and most importantly, just how to be a man and a husband. Um, and I follow those criteria to this day, you know, and one of the biggest things that says stick to your beliefs. And yeah, is it, you think if I recruit 30 kids, I'll rise, you know, if I coach this guy, I'll rise, be where your feet are. Absolutely bust your ass, excuse my language every day. Okay. And do the very best job you can where you're at and everything will take care of itself. Football's a, it's a funny profession you never know what's going to happen one day you could be here and one day you could be there so you know be where your feet are absolutely make sure that you invest in the kids you get the opportunity to coach every day treat them like you're, they're your kid because if you do it the right way everything will take care of itself um so uh hopefully that wasn't too long-winded um you know no that was great um and i think yeah and when any coach i've had on here you ask them how they got to where they are and it's always some there's no there's no straight path there's no like you know linkedin for coaching yeah, i mean there's some, some guys apply but really a lot of it's just who you get to know through your first entry-level job and right. um, I, I don't know who said it um but there was an old like nfl gm on espn once and he was like 
and the question was like advice to a young coach and his advice was like do anything you can just just to get on the bus just to get in the building it doesn't really matter what you're doing necessarily like if you're the coffee guy at alabama be the best damn coffee guy you can be (laughs) make sure you know exactly what nick saban likes (laughs) yeah no question you know and i think um it can be very easy as a coach to always have your eye on the next thing um because you guys are in it you understand how rapidly things shake up especially towards the end of a season and especially if it's been a successful season like anytime an fbs program has a demise like all those guys drop to pretty nice positions and fcs or d2 d3 but every time an fcs program has a great run like you know you look at university of maine all those guys get picked off they go somewhere else right Mm -hmm. so um it is very hard i think for college coaches to focus on what's in front of them especially not only career-wise, but just you have so many different hats that you guys wear. Um, last question, what would be, and share to the extent you're comfortable, what was the biggest mistake you ever made as a coach? And then how does that influence how you coach guys today? Uh, biggest mistake I ever made um, is you don't always know what's going on with the player that you coach. You try to know absolutely everything you can, you know, but you never know each particular player's situation in life background um and i'll never forget it was one of the, my first positional job uh first night of fall camp you collect the car keys for each player because they have their car on campus but they're in their dorms and we don't you know want to eliminate any sort of distraction that they could have so you collect the car keys and um so go back to my apartment that night fall asleep uh, unfortunately i don't turn on my alarm for my phone so i was like you know i wasn't worried that i was gonna be late for work i just i didn't hear my phone ring because it was on silent um, and I had woke up the next morning and I had missed uh, 10 phone calls from one of my players. Um, and unfortunately, during the evening, uh, one of my players needed to get home. So he had to borrow his friend's car to drive home um, because he, his father was suffering from ALS um, and was going to be towards the end, you know, and he wanted to get home. Um, so, you know, the player I coached, he always did his own thing. And I loved him for that because, like, we had a great understanding. Um, but I wish I had set my alarm. Uh, I ended up driving up there that day and meeting him and making sure he had his car and everything. And got he made it home in time to see his father, which was the biggest thing, uh, you know. And yeah, that moment when I learned his father had ALS because he didn't tell anybody, he kept things to himself. We created a new bond, he and I. And it went more from player coach to, at that point, I was 24, he was 21. It went brother, essentially. Uh, I was big brother. He was little brother. Uh, we ended up working every day together for the next two years. And he was a two-time All-American. But I'll just never forget, like, not knowing, you know, and I, I made a point from that moment forward that I knew everything I could about every kid I touched and came across. I wanted to make sure I knew absolutely everything. So, you know, I, from that moment, I learned everything I could about Danny and every kid I was fortunate enough to be associated with whether it be as a recruiter or as a coach can you learn absolutely every facet of every kid no but that's your job and you're going to try to learn as many of them as you can so that they know how much you truly care about them because until they know how much you truly care about them they they don't care so to speak about you and when you show them hey i actually know who you are i know everything about you that i can they value you and you value them and then you get you get things going the right way and you achieve what you really want to achieve in coaching. So, you know, it took a really weird uh, thing and not turning on my dang alarm, you know, and missing those calls. Um, but 
you know, it was probably one of the best things that ever happened to me because it opened up a moment with a kid who, uh, you know, I still to this day, uh, we go back and forth at least once or twice a week. So, you know, so that would be, you know, uh, the biggest mistake I ever made, you know, was uh, that. Um, but it, as a result, it's shaped my career. And I'm very thankful um, that one, he got to go home and see his father. And two, I got to learn a great lesson with him. So I hope that answered your question. Thanks for listening to the Coach Cahill Show. If you found today's show inspiring or helpful, please write us a review on Apple Podcasts or share the show with a friend. Reviews and ratings are what help us continually attract interesting and engaging guests like the one you heard today. Remember, referrals are the best compliment.